HRGrapevine.com. It's the HR Grapevine Podcast. Hello, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the pod. Thank you for listening this week. And in today's episode, I want to talk about industrial action and the temporary workers that are sometimes brought in to fill those employment gaps. So to do this, I'm bringing in Julia Kermode. She is the founder of iWork, which is dedicated to supporting freelance gig workers and temps. So Julia is going to help me unpack why the government is tightening rules to prevent strike action, why using temps to cover striking staff may not be the best approach, and if that is the best approach, the key considerations for businesses in engaging those temps in the event of industrial actions. Now, at the time of recording this, Liz Truss was still Prime Minister of the UK. Obviously, a lot has changed then. I kind of uh, I kind of called it. Um, maybe I'm psychic. I don't know. In any case, it was a great conversation with Julia, and I hope you get a lot out of it. Here it is. Eric. I'm really pleased to be here. So yeah, I'm Julia Kermode. I run um, an organisation called iWork, which exists to um, provide information, support and advice for anybody that works but is not in permanent employment. So that is temporary workers, gig economy workers, self-employed people um, and any anybody in between. So zero hours workers actually would, would be included in there. So, so yeah, and iWork stands for independent work. And my mission is is to empower everyone to make sure that all these different ways of working um, are that, that people are receiving the rights that, that they're due. So things like holiday um, and and all those all that all that legal stuff that that can so easily get missed. Right. So I wanted to have you on this week because I, I want to talk about industrial actions um, and all the sort of scope around it. It seemed like just yesterday, but also a lifetime ago, where we got the news about. P&O ferry employees yeah. watching a video escorted off the ships and essentially from what I gathered buses of temporary workers were brought in while this was happening and it seemed like a lot of the temporary workers didn't even know these agency workers didn't know that that was coming in right we have a new government by the time we post this podcast in a couple of weeks there might be a whole new government we just don't <laughs> know at this point but I know that the government has the UK government specifically has really sort of sort of started to tighten the sort of uh, kind of put a stranglehold when it comes to industrial action. And that's a very visceral term, but it it really, really is. And we actually just wrote a story this week on hrgrapevine.com uh, about a, uh, I believe it was a primary school whose teachers went on strike. Yes. And um, it was really the first sort of uh, uh, firm kind of enacting, you know, using this law but the agencies dropped out mm. and we'll get into that in a while, in, in a couple of minutes. But I guess yeah. right now, if you can just kind of give me the overview, w- what is the government doing right now to sort of prevent industrial action? Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting. And um, I didn't see any of this legislation coming. But what they've actually done is in June, they they first muted the idea of allowing temporary workers to cover for striking employees. Um, and this this came about with Grant Shapps, who was the transport secretary at the time. Um, and and he basically 
didn't want whole scale disruption to to the UK by transport strikes. So he was transport secretary, um, mm-hmm. and and he was he talked about minimising disruption to public sector and prevent the country being held to ransom. So one of the things that came about when 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 he was talking about it was um, a change in legislation to allow temporary workers through recruitment agencies to be able to cover. Now, of course, um, a lot of the a lot of people involved in transport are highly skilled. Um, and and so you can't, it, it's not actually that simple. And the idea was muted, and he was saying, "Oh, we can bring it bring it about very quickly." Um, trade unions and others kind of opposed it, um, but lo and behold, we've got the legislation in place. Um, so so it is now possible. It's very controversial because. Um, uh, the right to strike has been um, a, a right for for workers in the UK for for many years. Um, but I think really they looked at the change because they they as in the government um, are obviously aware of rising uh, fuel costs, um, prices in general. Um, the economic outlook is not brilliant at the moment, so they're obviously aware that more strikes were coming. And at the time in June, there was talk of a whole load of different things going on. Um, uh, and, and indeed, there still is now um, right. a few months later. Why is the government as the government always? And I'm, I'm saying and I'm going to say the word government in a very broad stroke, right? Not necessarily Tory or labor or from where I come from, uh, America, you know, Republican, Democrat. Why is government as a whole sort of so it almost seems like they're terrified of striking workers and in industrial yeah. action? Why? Why is this? Uh, that is something that is is really difficult to answer. I think they are worried that we will be going back to uh, times in like the 1970s and 80s where strikes were fairly commonplace and it did kind of shut down the country to, mm-hmm. to a greater extent. And I think as our economic worries are piling up, that is their big fear. Um, and also, I guess, with people having access to social media, etc., public opinion is out there far more than it ever has been. So all you need is for a few people to get onto Twitter or or Facebook or whatever it might be, voicing their opinion. And before you know it, you've got this whole country in discontent in in different ways. You've got your striking workers who are obviously striking for whatever reason. And then you've got your um, other um, public who who are affected by those strikes. And you've got a melting point of of issues there. So I think that's their their big worry, to be honest with you, Eric. But but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because, you know, obviously here in the UK, it started off with the RMT and the transport workers mm. since that those initial strikes over the summer. And I don't have it written down, but I'm going to just try and, and from memory. And if I'm missing any, please tell me. Since then, mm. we've had postal workers go on strike. Yeah. Right. We have had uh, uh, defense barristers go on strike. Yep. What else? I, I know NHS workers are threatening it. I know yeah, a lot yeah. of teachers are threatening it. Am I missing mm-hmm. any other actions? Um, uh, off the top of my head, I think there was um, refuse workers as well yes. in Scotland. I think there was some issues at some of the ports as well uh-huh. um, into the UK. Um, right. But but um, but yeah, so we, we are seeing different pockets of, of industrial action. And I think... There have been calls for a general strike um, and for the unions to coordinate these strikes, which I guess if there was to be one, that that really would um, be um, problematic for the government. Yeah. 
So I'm going to kind of hop around a little bit because I yeah. want to talk about what you said about the refuse workers in Scotland and something you said about um, public reaction. I, I just want to get into that. So yeah. a little bit. I actually live in Scotland. Uh, I uh, it, we, I was, a not, uh, had to kind of readapt. I listen, I, I have two kids. I'm very tuned into when, how filled, how full any of the bins are and when they have to go out, like, <laughs> like that's, yeah, yeah. that's programmed into me. I know every third Thursday is the general waste bin. And I kind of monitor what our, what our, <laughs> what our waste is like, cause I don't want to have an overflowing bin. Um, but within that, within the council I lived in, it was going to a council wide strike, which would have mm-hmm. involved our educators, um, not so much the educators, but the uh, dinner hall staff, the school staff. So we were really concerned for five ish days that there was going to be a strike, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which meant the school would, would have been closed. We knew that this was happening. We prepared ourselves, me and my family. But I, while it's an inconvenience to me, I totally support any striking worker because I know the reasons why they're striking. Because like you said, it's not a, it's not the um, first course of action, right? This is the the striking and industrial action really is the absolute last course of action. And it seems, you know, when, when I hear, you know, with these ongoing RMT strikes and I turn on BBC or Channel 4 News and they talk to the people and how they're inconvenienced that, oh, they can't get to see Hamilton that night or mm-hmm. some, you know, or, or like they're going to be late to Glastonbury. That's the whole point, though. Right. <laughs> so yeah. how how does I, I guess I'm wondering from your side, where does the public reaction factor in to the striking workforces, no matter the industry? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. So I've posted a couple of things on my own social media about the strikes, and I was quite surprised at the re- reaction I got. So um, I, uh, the postal strikes were coming, so, so I, I mentioned that and, and you know, um, whatever. And mm. people were, were replying, going, oh, my God, my business has enough to worry about without without whether or not my stuff will get posted out over Christmas. Um, and, you know, how, how could they sort of thing? Um, and then someone else was saying, well, some workers shouldn't be allowed to strike at all um and actually trying to i was surprised that more people were not in favor of this strikes and i think that um that that we're all kind of almost cocooned in our own little world and concerned about the impact on us rather than stopping to think what's behind these strikes and i think i think um uh, for the trade unions, if I was talking to the trade unions, that's the message they need to get out there a bit more if they can, is why are they striking? Um, yeah. What's it all about? Um, and um, I know that the criminal barristers um, strike did go to pains to explain it. Um, whether anyone uh, read up on it or not, I did because I'm, I'm like that. Um, and right. I'm sure some of your listeners will have as well. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they went to great lengths to explain it because people misunderstand quite a lot about that particular strike because they perceive barristers as being very well off um, and, and what right do they have to strike. So I think it's that whole ethos behind it, behind what's going on that, that perhaps needs needs better communicating somehow. Yeah, great. Thank you. All right. So we've laid out the context, right? We've talked Mm. about the government sort of uh, involvement. We've talked about public reaction. But as it is, you know, the HR Grapevine podcast, let's pivot this to businesses. And I guess my next question to you is it seems like if it's not always possible, but how can businesses prevent strikes? 
Okay, well, this this is a really difficult one to to kind of answer, but I would say, um, and again, this might be kind of slightly cloud cuckoo land, but try to keep in touch with your employees and your workers and try not to be so remote from them that you don't know what they're thinking and feeling about things. Um, Try to understand their perspective. Try to have, uh, if you're a very big organization, things like employees, surveys, and and that, that kind of engagement engagement is really, really important because the more you can understand how things are for the wider team, especially those guys at the coalface dealing with, you know, um, whatever they might be dealing with, um, then the more you can understand things from their perspective, the le- more you've got a chance of, um, I don't know, being seen to be a good employer um, and and kind of not putting them in a position where, where they feel that you're out of touch with them. Um, and, you know, Obviously, talking to a HR audience, you, everyone listening will know how to do things like um, when you're bringing about changes to contracts and things like that, all of the communications and all of the stuff that goes on behind that. Obviously, don't bring in changes overnight without consultation and, and all of that stuff. So important to get right. And actually, all of these best practice is there for a reason. Um, and so, yeah, the, the more of that stuff you can do, the better. Now, it's actually really hard, though. In the current environment, isn't it? Because you've right. got cost worries um, as a business, you've got your own worries, but try not to lose touch with what's going on with your staff, uh, uh, you know, whilst you're busy doing what you're doing. It seems less of a us versus them and more of a let's uh, more holistic together approach, right? Between management yeah. and the employee. Okay. So you kind of alluded to it before, and I want to talk about this this idea of using temps to cover striking staff. Mm-hmm. I would be pretty nervous to get on a train from Croy to Edinburgh Waverly yeah. if there is a temporary person driving the train. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a real sort of, you could just put someone in there, right? Trains are complicated. There's pedals and levers and, <laughs> and, all, and wind and all of these things, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're seeing this now a little bit so I guess from where you sit, why it would be using temporary agency staff to cover striking employees? Why isn't that the best approach? Well, you, the number one problem you've just outlined is the availability of suitably skilled and qualified staff um, to, to fill those gaps. So, so you know, and um, in the P&O example, the numbers of people required um, at probably short notice was, was huge. So there, there's a certain amount of planning. It's not always that simple as pick up the phone and, and get some temps in, you know, pick up the phone on Friday and they're there on Monday. That does happen, of course sometimes um but but yes so that 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 availability of appropriately qualified people is is um is the first issue but also there's the kind of controversy side of it and the impact on your permanent staff um and you know how are they going to feel they're going to feel potentially even less listened to than they already feel because they're already aggrieved if they're planning to go on strike um so so there's that side of things and it may just simply prolong the, the dispute. Um, and so um, Harrods were looking at using some temporary workers to cover for some of their um, staff that were looking at going on strike. And, and they they wrote to, to their staff and it sounded 
little bit threatening in terms of what what I had seen. Um, the the snippet of of the letter that I'd seen, um, probably out of context. Um, mm-hmm. but it did it did sound kind of slightly threatening, as in, well, you can go on strike, but we'll 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 be able to cover it anyway. Um, so so there's that side of things. Um, and you know, stuff around um thinking about it from the temporary workers' perspective, um, how are they going to feel being asked to go into a host- potentially hostile environment? Um, that that for me and uh, and the work I do at iWork is probably my number one issue, and especially if they don't know what they're going into. And the example you gave about that school, um, I, I saw the write-up on that. Now, I don't know um, whether the agency and or the temps um, were aware of that they were likely to be covering strikes, but if they weren't, then that for me would be a fundamental uh, no-no because, because of all these issues, and it's not straightforward. Um, so, so, you know, if, if you were going to look at bringing temps in to cover, cover for any strikes, you have to have that communication and it, it it might it might mean that you can't get temps in to cover that strike right. so be it um but without that good communication you're going to have a, a whole world of problems on your hands otherwise so so forgive me if i'm if i'm sounding a bit elementary on this yeah. so are you telling me that in some cases firms will reach out to a staffing agency and say we need X amount of people, but not tell them the reasons why. So when these people go to this temporary role, do do they not know why they're going there in the first place? Well, they they should do. Um, right. I, but if 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 I was a business and I needed people to cover that strike, um, then I, I suppose I might think about not telling the agency the full story. Obviously, mm-hmm. there'll be there'll be some sort of reason given for for needing the temp. So um, I. I certainly um, would be worried on on that point. Um, and that with the example for that school, I'm not sure whether the agency was given the full facts or not. I've, I've tried to get to the bottom of it, and I can't. So I can't. I can't comment on that one. Um, but but if they didn't know, then that's wrong. Right. <laughs> um, and they they should have known. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's on hrgrapevine.com. Please give it a read uh, as I plug my own website. We, Absolutely. we, had, a, we had a pretty good uh, write up about it. All right. So I just kind of want to maybe wrap up with this thought then. So um, for the businesses that do engage in temps and the agency mm. signs on, what are these key considerations for those business leaders engaging with this temporary workforce in the event of strikes? Yeah. So, I mean, it's there as an option. Um, and so your your listeners um, will be tasked with with kind of people resources and it, it is there as an option. So, as I say, the communications at the outset need to be there. You need to potentially have a think about what are you actually asking those temps to do on a practical level? Will they have to cross a picket line? Will the environment be hostile for them? How are those temps going to feel? Who is going to support those temps and supervise? them you know because often when temps are brought in the current workers kind of help them and organize their their work and if you haven't got your current workers because they're on strike then you've got that extra kind of layer of thinking through the logistics of it um and you know it's i think it's i think it's all fine so long as everybody knows what they're signing up to. So if the temps know what they're going into and they're happy to do so, that's fine. And obviously for the temps to know, the agency needs to know. And we've just talked about why why that's important. So, you know, 
It is there as an option. Just think through the detail. And, you know, if those temps come in and have a bad experience because they're covering strikes, they're going to remember that. Um, and, you know, you might think, oh, oh, they're, they're just temps. Um, I don't need to worry about it particularly. But you never know where they'll take that that bad experience um, with them, you know, going forward. Um, so, so, you know, I, I just think that's another consideration. The agency has their reputation to consider. Um, they have the, the wider reputation, like the issues with P&O earlier this year. But as well as that, in some sectors, agency candidates rule because there are some sectors where there are shortages. So if um, an agency worker has a bad experience, they might then leave that agency. So don't forget, these agencies have wider wider considerations rather than just you, the business client that, that they're servicing. Once again, big thank you to my guest, Julia Kermode, founder of iWork. Really appreciate her time helping me unpack all things strike related. It's really important for business leaders and HR to really actively listen to their employers and what they need, especially now, as it seems like we will be seeing a lot more industrial actions and strikes in the coming months. So once again, big thanks to Julia. Big thanks to all of you for listening. This is Eric Miverowski, host of the HR Grapevine podcast, and I will talk to you again soon.